Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another episode of Moving to Live. We are a podcast that firmly believes movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. We try to interview different professionals in the movement field, as you heard in the intro, breaking down knowledge silos. We're doing this interview on Friday, April 3rd. And for those of you who are up on your current events, which I think is probably almost anybody in the world at this point in time, we're in the middle of COVID-19 here in Western Pennsylvania the big promotion of social distancing. We have a stay-at-home order from the governor. And I know that for many allied health professionals, this is a significant change with the closing of non-essential businesses. So I wanted to get either a physical therapist or a certified athletic trainer on to talk about how the changes, both in the seeing of patients and athletes and the educational aspects. So I was fortunate enough to be able to contact a colleague of mine, Dr. Maury Kolber, who is a professor at Nova Southeastern University, who has been a physical therapist for at least 20 years with clinical experience as well as academic experience to kind of talk about what this means as an educator for physical therapy students and maybe some things for physical therapists and athletic trainers who are in the clinical setting that they might have not considered or might help them clarify what's going to happen in the weeks and months coming ahead. So Dr. Kolber, thanks for taking time to talk to the Moving to Live podcast. Thanks, Ben. So, Maury, I know that you've had a big change in your main job right now, which is teaching physical therapy students at Nova Southeastern. And I'm curious, before all this came down, how much teaching of physical therapy students at Nova Southeastern was done in the online environment versus what we think of as the typical face-to-face environment of education? Well, our program at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale campus is traditional teaching. So it is a face-to-face program. Uh, Each faculty sort of had a different way of approaching their courses. Uh, Some faculty had a mix of online, pre-recorded lectures, in-class, laboratory. Others were 100% in-class. So I I think it was somewhat variable. 
But prior to all of this, we are a traditional program. We have lecture classes, we have lab classes, we have testing. So the, the landscape of what we do moving forward is, it's already changed and it's going to continue to change. And I know we were talking a little bit before I started recording <clears throat> and you said that you had some impetus essentially a month ago that there may be some changes or to be prepared for some changes. And what was your initial thoughts when you heard that potentially you might be teaching courses in the physical therapy program entirely online? I mean, my initial reaction was panic because everything I, I do and everything I've had set up is face-to-face. -face and that's the part of my job that I enjoy the most. I think for some people, they probably saw it as a great thing. Um, you know, for, for me, it, it, it certainly wasn't, but there was some initial panic. Probably the first thing I did is stopped all clinical visits at that point uh, for various reasons. Uh, one of them being the, the threat, obviously, of, of COVID. But the other was knowing that I needed to begin dedicating some hard time into creating modules and a, a change in my course, which is currently ongoing. And I know you've been teaching for a number of years, and although courses change as knowledge changes and you try new things, how much of an increase in workload did you see or how difficult was it to take some of these classes that until a month ago you were seeing students two or three times a week and now suddenly you're like, okay, this all has to be delivered online in a synchronous or asynchronous manner? Right. It seems that something that would take five minutes in the classroom setting will take 15 minutes on a Zoom session. In and a classroom set, I'm sorry. And I'm curious with the students that you've communicated with so far, how familiar were most of them with Zoom and online education versus panic similar to what you had a couple of weeks ago? I mean, fortunately for us and what it seems, our students are probably a little bit more savvy than, than some of us in terms of Online learning, when I went to undergrad, we didn't have online learning. I imagine most of them did to some degree. Fortunately for us, our program director had began pushing us into, into ExamSoft, which is a uh, electronic means of testing, getting rid of paper. And it wasn't because of this. This was last semester. So fortunately, we transitioned into that software program to deliver our tests. So we were ready to go with that. Had we had to learn that at the same time, it would have been a challenge. And with that and the switch to online education with the students, what is the reaction of the students that you've talked with been so far? They've been excited about it, just happy that they can continue it or kind of a little bit of panic because it's something new? I think there's a little bit of panic with regard to testing because now they're, they're being tested in an environment that they have to create that is private, secure. There's a camera watching them. So that's changed. The ability to review exams has obviously changed due to security. You don't want to expose your questions, whereas when you have a traditional setting where a student comes to your office, you hand them a written exam, they take a look at it, there's no exposure of that exam. So now there's different considerations that didn't exist before. You know, I'm always reluctant to, to approach a student and say, hey, how did you like the lecture I just did on Zoom? Because I think when you do that, you, you, know, you're, you know what your response is. They're going to say, well, I really liked it. 
I don't know that it's appropriate. I'm not big on just walking up, you know, approaching a student and say, hey, how did you like what I just did? Because students are generally kind and will we'll say they liked it, but that doesn't necessarily mean they, they did. I feel like our students have an expectation to in classroom teaching and laboratory sessions and that expectation is going to possibly need to change perhaps through the whole summer. And I know I've been teaching for a number of years at California University of Pennsylvania, not in a physical therapy program, but in a exercise science program. And our classes are asynchronous. In other words, we do narrated lectures and things like that, where the students have a time period where they have to complete it. With this sudden switch that you've had with your teaching, are you doing this in an asynchronous manner or are there specific classroom times where students that you saw a month ago in the classroom, you now are meeting with them on Zoom? So the plan is moving forward to have both asynchronous and synchronous. So the plan will be for the summer. We were just wrapping up our semester, so there wasn't a lot of content, but it was mixed, asynchronous and synchronous. Moving forward into the summer, the students will be given a certain amount of time to do a review of a lecture that's asynchronous. And then when they complete that, then there will be a Zoom session, which will be synchronous, where it'll be more focusing on cases, questions, and reviewing the content that they looked at earlier. We have a media platform called Kaltura. And that's what we use for our courses to pre-record certain lectures. And I think from an efficiency perspective for both them and us, that's going to be the strategy. Provide these Kaltura lectures for the hard lecturing. Because if you think about it, these students are going to be sitting in a Zoom session three hours in the morning, three hours at the end of the day. It is going to wear on them. So I think providing an asynchronous Kaltura lecture that's pre-recorded and then following up with a review and an overview in Zoom is going to be the way to go. And I'm also interested in learning uh, as a physical therapy program. I know the American Physical Therapy Association has certain requirements that students must meet. How communicative have they been with you and with your program as far as recognizing that, okay, this is something that really hasn't been done before. We haven't had a pandemic in almost 100 years. So this is a significant change. What has their communication been with you? Well, our director and chair have sort of been on the front line in terms of communicating with CAPTI which is our accreditation body. And at first there was this fear you know, that changing our curriculum is a substantive change. It's going to require an application forms, paperwork, but CAPTI did come down with some, some documents stating that there would be some flexibility uh, based on the situation at hand with both changing models of classroom teaching as well as clinical hours. And I suspect the most important thing about that is that when students finish their work at Nova Southeastern, they'll have the ability to sit for the certification exam. Right. So students will, will sit for the national physical therapy exam and, and that content will continue. That would, would most likely go unchanged. The biggest challenge is our lab-based classes. And those are the ones that help prepare them most for the actual clinical environment. And I know there's been a big change in recent years in physical therapy from passive modalities. You know, the typical 15 years ago, somebody comes in with an injury. It's like, okay, we put a hot pack on you. We do a little ultrasound, send you on your way. Maybe, uh, and I say this tongue in cheek, laying the hands on a little bit. Now I know there's much more of an emphasis on active work, giving them exercises, 
But there is a big hands-on component of physical therapy even today with muscle testing and nerve testing. How are you able to assess students doing those things in a distance education style, Zoom style versus a face-to-face where you're in the lab where you could maybe put your hands on top of the student who is doing the muscle testing? Right. So, so there's a unique challenge during this time. So assuming the COVID issue wasn't a concern with students would be required to form groups and work with other people and record videos that we would be able to assess. I think the challenge is now we can't require students to meet with people with social distancing. So requiring students to meet up and work in a group project and video something may not necessarily be something we can require them to do. So the challenge is, okay, if they're living with somebody, perhaps they can record them doing a task on that person. But then the question comes, well, is that person they're practicing with safe to be performing these techniques on? For example, we, you know, we teach thrust manipulation. Do we want a student demonstrating and practicing thrust manipulation on their, you know, 100-year-old grandparent? And the answer is no. So there's some new new considerations. Things such as gauging force and and pressure, those are hard to do online. Those are some unique challenges that we'll have. And going forward with this, once we have a adaptation or a change and hopefully have COVID-19 under control, I think everybody recognizes life as we know it is not going to go back to the way it was three or four months ago, but hopefully it will go back more to our sense of normal. Just from what you're seeing in the first couple of weeks of doing the change in the teaching, do you think there are any things that you'll be doing as a program or as a professor that will stay different just because you've learned it or adapted it and said, wow, this is really good. This is helpful for progressing my students as they go through their physical therapy education. I do. I think that this is going to change the landscape of academia forever. Uh, Those of us, perhaps myself being one who was resistant to some of the technologies, now will recognize the ability to use those technologies. Uh, Perhaps if a faculty is, is ill, they won't feel compelled to come to class to complete that lecture, and they can deliver that through a Zoom session, something that may not have been an option in the past. So I do think this is gonna open up some different avenues for us for flipped model classrooms. And it's gonna make everyone who's who's currently practicing in academia more aware of the the technologies. We're talking with Dr. Maury Kolber. He is a physical therapy professor at Nova Southeastern University in South Florida. He's been talking to us about the changes in his teaching since COVID-19 and the switching to an online using the Zoom platform. One of the reasons I wanted to have Dr. Kolber come on Moving to Live is he can talk both as an academic and as a clinician since he has worked as a clinician in addition to working as a professor. And I think one of the things he and I have in common is I do some work as a personal trainer because I believe if you're going to teach something, you should also have the practical experience to know what it is. And I'm interested in switching gears a little bit more and talking about physical therapy now in the social distancing, COVID-19, and I know that there is an argument on various uh, internet forums and Facebook groups, take that for what it's worth, of portions of the physical therapy and other personal trainer, athletic trainer groups are saying, this is essential. People have to do this. We have to be able to continue our work. And then there's the other side that are saying, you know, there are some tasks or some things that physical therapists are doing that, yes, that is essential, but there's other things that aren't. 
when you initially heard this, I know from talking to you, when you started to become more aware of COVID-19, you made the choice with your clinical patients to stop seeing that. Could you talk a little, excuse me, stop seeing them. Could you talk a little bit about that? Right. So the, the last patient that I evaluated was the first week of March. I provided a home program and that was it. I've, I've since stopped seeing patients during this time. Now, my situation perhaps is a little different than others. I was not doing it because that was my primary job. Um, I stopped doing this because of the obvious incoming threat of COVID and also because I knew I needed to dedicate much more time to prepping and getting ready for the changes in academia. I think when you go onto the APTA website, there's, there's numerous documents there. There's a letter from the APTA president and what you're seeing is, is very discordant practice within physical therapy. Some clinics are remaining open. Some clinics have voluntarily shut down. So you're seeing a, a lot of variance in practice. What I don't like that I'm seeing in some places, and you're not seeing this in physical therapist-owned clinics by any means. You're seeing this more in your, in your corporations, perhaps. Um, <clears throat> larger type of, of companies, what you're seeing is they're consolidating schedules, meaning they're cutting hours for the clinic being open. But for me, the concern is that it's bringing more people in a room at once. Uh, what should be happening for those clinics who are deciding to stay open is they should be staggering their schedules. They should be decreasing the volume of the therapist. So they're only seeing one patient at a time. There's adequate time for cleaning there's adequate time for preparation and the schedules are staggered. So fewer people are in the room at the same time. And I'm interested in learning, uh, obviously as a physical therapist, you keep up to this more than I do as a non-physical therapist. Has the APTA provided insight or information so therapists can determine what are considered essential actions or essential patients for physical therapists to see versus, okay, these are not essential and maybe we ought to hold back on these. They haven't provided a firm statement, and I, I believe they're reluctant to do so. I think most would agree that if you work in a critical infrastructure, that there's a social responsibility to go to work and to play a role in whatever role that organization deems you to, you know, whether it be taking temperatures, practicing physical therapy. I think there's a, a social role as, as a medical provider. The challenge comes when we begin to look at outpatient services, I think. That's really where the question resides. Are we treating people that are functionally impaired and truly can't carry out their ADLs? Are we treating people who could perhaps be managed in a modified sort of telehealth environment that might be safer for both the clinician and the patient? And obviously, you're not speaking for the APTA or other physical therapists. This will just be your opinion. I've heard the argument from some physical therapists and other people in allied health with, with similar concerns. Well, if we continue to see our patients, we're keeping them out of emergency rooms or keeping away, keeping them away from physicians who might be needed to see COVID-19 uh, patients or potential victims because we're providing the services and they're not going to be calling uh, other health professionals and saying, you know, I'm in pain or this isn't helping or your surgery didn't work. What do you think about that? I agree. I think it's how we're seeing our patients, and it's the model that we're using that that really needs to be considered. 
if it means considering to see our patients as usual and just using uh, sanitizing gel on our hands between patients, I don't think that's going to cut it. I think some patients' conditions are amenable to these periodic follow-ups through E-type of platforms. Some people who do need post-operative patients or individuals who do need that one-on-one care, they, they should be seen in a model that is that is safe and is using what's now going to be considered best clinical practice with respect to infection control. One patient at a time, adequate time to clean the room, staggered PT schedules. And I know that there are some states that, at least until recently, didn't authorize payment from insurance companies by doing telehealth or a physical therapy visit where you did it through Zoom or another platform. Have you seen from what what you've uh, followed in in the literature that some of these states are relaxing these practice acts or maybe not relaxing would be a bad term, changing these practice acts in due to the fact of what's going on in the world with COVID-19? So telehealth is interesting. There are codes for us to build. Uh, Medicare obviously hasn't come right out and stated that that is something that we can do. So there is not something that specifically states that we can do that, but there are some relaxed guidelines. Uh, Some commercial carriers, I believe United and Cigna, are now paying for telehealth visits for physical therapists. So things are are happening fast. Uh, the, the, The CARES Act uh, did state that uh, there is some flexibility in terms of who's allowed to provide services during this time. But I haven't seen anything specific yet for Medicare and physical therapy. And as somebody who doesn't work in a practice setting where you where I deal with Medicare or Medicare patients, I would imagine since it's government-based, it takes a long time. And if for some unfortunate reason this goes on for six months or a year, we might see changes. Would I be wrong, do you think, in saying that? We're going to see changes rapidly. There are There's a lot going on right now in terms of legislation to change this, but I, I believe in the very, very near future, it will be sort of this universal acceptance of physical therapists providing telehealth. And I know you mentioned a few minutes ago you thought that this – whole pandemic was going to have a significant change in higher education. As somebody who teaches in a physical therapy program has pretty extensive clinical experience, do you think this is also going to have, after everything plays out, a significant change in the way physical therapy is provided to patients? You know, Ben, I I don't know. I think that if telehealth becomes something that many people adopt in their practice, I think they'll continue to do that. I think some patients will there will find benefits of telehealth and find it perhaps more convenient for them as well. So I think both from a provider and patient perspective, I think those approaches will become more, more accepted and, and utilized more. I think for some people and some practices, going back to what's traditional will work best. Our, our students are obviously going to need to be able to do clinical rotations. And I don't think telehealth rotations are, are the way to go. So I don't see that happening personally. We've been talking with Dr. Maury Kolber. He is a physical therapy professor and also has worked clinically as a physical therapist. I think he's provided some interesting insights and information about physical therapy, both the education and the practice during this COVID-19 pandemic. 
Dr. Kolber, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, preparing for Zoom-based classes to talk to Moving to Live. Thanks, Ben. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.